ignition sequence start. Five. Everything. Three. Everything. Sounds. Sounds. This is Everything Sounds. I'm Craig Shank. I'm George Drake Jr. And this is Everything Sounds. Zagat is one of the most famous names in restaurant reviews. They collect information about restaurants from diners, and then their editors rank and summarize those reviews. They also occasionally publish dining trend surveys. These surveys contain information about what U.S. states go out the most, how much people will tip, top cuisines, and on average how long someone's willing to wait for a table. They also have a list of diners' biggest pet peeves. In their December 2013 survey, some of the common gripes near the top of the list were poor service, also many people prefer to eat in restaurants that aren't crowded, and of course, high prices were also a frontrunner. But the number one complaint about restaurants was noise. I mean, just think about it. There's the chatter of other customers. There's also the music playing in the restaurant. The clinks and clattering of silverware and dishes. And the sounds of the kitchen. And if you add everything up. Those are the ingredients for today's show. How much of the sound that you hear in a restaurant is there by design? How do you keep the noise level in a restaurant to a minimum? And if it's well-designed, how can the sound of a restaurant make dining out more enjoyable? Well, that's part of what Clark Wolf thinks about for a living. My name is Clark Wolf, and I'm a food and restaurant consultant. I work with restaurants, hotels, hospitality, small food businesses, but any place people gather to buy and sell food. Clark works with everything from huge hotels to street vendors. He's even consulted entire towns. To work with everything from Airstream trailers that sell fresh-pressed juice to full-on beachfront multi-million dollar restaurants. Restaurants and dining experiences don't just happen. And they're not only focused on what you're going to be eating for that hour of your life. Food is all about context. And Clark helps make that context a reality. As a customer, you're not really supposed to think too much about what goes into making a restaurant what it is, but you can quickly detect a mood when you walk through the doors. But there are times when that mood isn't a good thing. And that can often result from a lack of planning. One thing that is often overlooked when planning a restaurant is its sound. Probably the worst thing a restaurateur can do uh, in the sound department is not pay attention, is to decide, well, let's just build this and not think about it. And sometimes they do. They just refuse to think about it at all. The thing is, when you think about it, There are all kinds of signals that you can get from a restaurant before you ever walk in the door. Sometimes they might put thought into it, and other times, maybe not. That's why Clark's work is so valuable to restaurants. Let's start with the space itself. It's worth spending some time thinking about the environment that the sounds are traveling in. After all, when we experience sound, we are also experiencing our surroundings. You start trying to build a room that people want to be in. And then you find out how it actually works. You really cannot predict exactly. Uh, you can be pretty sure that if the walls are hard and, and, and slick, and if the floors are hard and slick, and if the ceiling is hard and slick and it's not too high, it's going to be kind of noisy. You can kind of predict some of those things. 
And there have been really traditional ways. I don't know if you've ever seen a table in a tablecloth restaurant uncovered. Sometimes it's an ugly piece of wood that's been wrapped with a foam kind of, it's plastic, but foam on the back. So it feels good when you put your hand on it. And then they cover that with a cloth. Well, a lot of times the first thing a restaurant will do to soften the sound is to put the foam on the bottom of the table where nobody can see it, where the sound bounces up and kind of disappears in your lap. But you start with a room and you fill it up and you, and you put people in it. And then you say, okay, uh, now what do we do? The walls, the floors, the tables, the chairs, and just about everything you see in a restaurant will influence how the restaurant sounds. But once again, not everyone considers all of the aspects of the space when designing their restaurant. Usually people try to spend money in a restaurant where people either can touch it or can see it immediately, see it in front of them. But the, the ceiling is very, very important. Um, the floor can be important too. Uh, wood is softer on your ears, press cork, certain bamboo floors, they really do work. I mean, too often in a restaurant, it's all about the visual symbols and materials, you know? Now, there are obviously times where sound can work against you in a restaurant. For example, even someone who has been considered one of the finest chefs in the world opened up a restaurant that was seemingly too concerned about its own perceived importance to even get the basics right. Up at the end of the meal, they brought a box of pens so that you could choose which fancy pen you could sign with. Like the people who could afford there didn't have their own pen, right? I mean, it was hilarious. But what they didn't realize is that they'd have this kind of dome ceiling. And they had four booths all back to each other, you know, all with their backs to each other so that everybody had privacy and all the rest of it. However, this, the ceiling was such that when I spoke to you, the person on the other side of the room heard every word I said. Somebody said, how's the lamb? And the woman I was with said, it's pretty good. <laughs> and they were, we were talking to people across the room. This is not good in a top-level restaurant. And we, everybody was cracking up about it. It's like, how can we expect the salad to be good if you can't even figure out how to communicate in the in the room if you can't figure out that I'm going to find out what business deal they're doing over there or who they're having dinner with that they're not supposed to be having dinner with that they're not married to how can I trust the dressing as time goes on hopefully those kinds of mistakes won't get repeated as often there's some new technology out there that allows sound to be directed to very specific areas in restaurants for example, you can have the speakers and soundproofing that allows you to play music in the bar area You're high in April, shot down in May. that won't be heard by the people dining upstairs or in the next room. However, when you do things like this, you have to be careful. You want it to sound and feel natural. And if it doesn't, things get a little weird. If you get up and go for a walk to the men's room and it's loud right where you are and you walk down the hall and it suddenly stops, that's creepy. Do you know what I mean? It is creepy. So as with all things technology, we have to be gentle and slow so that what we do is give people a human experience because the minute they get taken out of that human experience, um, the harder it is for us to, to give them a really nice time because what people want when they go to a restaurant is to feel better. Part of facilitating that human experience is also learning which other human experiences should be filtered out. Not everyone wants to hear yelling, expletives, or anything else that might distract them from their meal or the people that they're with. Some restaurants work very hard to contain the sounds that might be coming from their kitchen on any given night. Boy, it's really important that you make a decision about the kitchen sounds because some of them are not in English and are not for general consumption. Right? I mean, this is a, a room full of knives and fire. So you, you do, but you can't tell what it's going to be 
until you open the restaurant. So a lot of times what, ha- what will happen is there can be an air screen that just blows down on the inside or the outside of the kitchen door. And not only does it keep the smells and, and, and whatnot and the air going in the right direction, but it, it helps buffer the sound. The other time, sometimes there'll be um, some speakers put on one side or the other of the kitchen door. Sometimes the, 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 the door has to be really thick. But in other cases, you know, people have put the kitchen in the dining room, right? And I'll tell you what that does. That cleans up the language of the staff immediately. It makes them cleaner, too. So some of it is operational. Some of it is scripted. You know, uh, if you tell the kitchen, guys, ladies and gentlemen, they can hear every word you say out there, then you won't complain loudly about that woman in the blue dress who wanted her chicken cooked again. So far, we have the space, the materials, and the people in the restaurant covered. And so what about the music? Music can play a big part in many restaurants, but we really don't think about it. That is, unless it draws attention to itself. Traditionally, historically, you wanted music, if you had it, to come just up under the conversation to lift the experience slightly. It's like the difference between using garlic to enhance the flavor of a dish and beating the heck out of the dish with too much garlic. So, I mean, that's the perfect metaphor. What does that mean in practice? Well, if you're going to have music in your restaurant and you want it done well, you'd probably want to make adjustments throughout the night. Uh, What you you often did was have the music a little bit higher during the early parts of the evening when people were a little shy, hadn't had anything to drink yet, the room wasn't necessarily full, and what the sound did was it held them. You know what I mean? It made them feel as if uh, they're in a collection of people, in 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 a crowd, in a group, someplace fun. And as time has gone along, and actually as the evening goes along, you kind of want to adjust it for that level. And you can, you can script some of it, but every night's not the same. So to have the music come up at 9.15 is ridiculous when the energy may come up at 9 or at 9.30 and need that boost of, uh, of sound or of music. And then it has to come down later in the evening because you want a soft landing. So then it brings up the question, what music are you going to pick? Well... Obviously, a lot of that decision has to do with the context and the feel and the mood of the restaurant. But there's an important factor that needs to be considered. And a lot of people just don't. The lighting. Uh, I don't know how many people realize that many of the bulbs behind restaurant fixtures are either golden or pink. Uh, the, the light really does play um, a huge part in that sound thing. They do go together. They do touch each other. So if you have a, a lighting system that really feels different than the sound, that can be discordant in a way that people don't understand but feel. So you, you really don't want to do that, which is why blue lights in restaurants are creepy. You know, that's, that's for a bar or a dance club or something where you want to look otherworldly and the music is otherworldly and the sound level is otherworldly. In a restaurant, you want the lighting to be enhancing and softening and you want the music too to be that way. Now back to the original question. What music do you play? And of course, Clark has some tips. One of the key elements um, of music is its era. You know, it's really interesting how that works. You, you, you can be smart, but you can't be too clever. You have to be a little bit careful. Because if you want a young crowd, what you have to know is not what their popular music is, because that's another thing. It's what is the music that they find charmingly old-fashioned, which might exactly be a, a, the music of a person eight years older. You know, so it's it's really, some of that is quite scientific, and there are a lot of companies that deal with that now. But no matter how you're adding music to the dining experience, 
the natural flow of the evening can certainly throw a wrench into how people are experiencing that music. So here's the deal, you know, every nine or 20 minutes there's a lull, you know that old myth. It's kind of not a myth. The energy of the room will build and build and build and then fall, you know? And if the music is really too loud, it suddenly takes center stage and it's really kind of hilarious. The whole room kind of quietly, naturally goes quiet because they've said everything for a moment and they pause to breathe. And then the music is blaring and uh, you kind of think to yourself, are the Thompson twins still alive? And if you're curious, the answer is yes. The Thompson twins are a good example of how times and tastes change. Uh, Chardet used to be one of those things. We used to say that Chardet and the Gypsy Kings were the um, were the grilled salmon of sound. You know what I mean? That that thing that everybody in New York accepted as a baseline, and you either had to have it or were so tired of it you wanted to stab yourself. So the choice of music is really really important. A lot of the most popular music now does not lend itself towards eating. You know, it can't be classical music, and I, I do think that there, and you can't really have anthems too early in the evening. Katy Perry early in the evening is exhausting. It just, it doesn't work out. You think you should be throwing ice cream and, and, and sprinkles up in the air instead of having, you know, a piece of chicken. After listening to this, you may want to go into your favorite restaurant and, and try to figure out why it sounds the way that it does, but I'm warning you against that. This is your warning. Clark thinks that overthinking a restaurant experience will take you out of it completely. I got to tell you something. It's not the job of the customer to consider these things. It's the job of the customer to feel them and to innocently go in hoping to have a good time. And something that both George and I have noticed that makes us want to stay away from certain restaurants is when the sound is out of control. It's hard to enjoy the company of your friends and family if you can't even hear them. One of the challenges to the restaurant and bar business is that too often the easiest, quickest, and laziest answer is more. More salt, more, more booze, uh, more sound. And that's really not what it's about. Uh, it really is about the balance. And the notion that it's not good for people is really not a notion, it's fact. I mean, there was a time when we liked the idea of a smoky bar because it was kind of sexy and it was good for business until we realized it was killing the staff, you know, or we realized it legally. I think there will be sound uh, requirements going forward where people can prove and sue, that's how it always works in America, that they lost their significant uh, parts of their hearing because it was blasting in the restaurant they worked in. Clearly, having a restaurant be so loud that it damages your hearing isn't ideal. But there are still plenty of other ways that restaurants are using sound to help their customers have a better experience. But despite all of the changes in technology or taste, customers should still be able to expect consistency and restaurants should be able to deliver it. At the bottom line, it's gotta be good. It can't be shoddy, it can't be inconsistent, it can't be creepy, you know, all those things that it can be that are wrong. It has to be reasonably right and it has to suit your needs. If it's loud and crazy one night and low and melodic another night, you don't know what restaurant you're at. You know, it's, it's confusing. So it's got to be good and appropriate and fairly consistent. Um, and then as with everything else, it's really up to folks who go out to make some decisions for themselves because it's an interaction. Going out is an interaction. So sound has got to be for you, not, not against you.
Thanks to Clark Wolf for his help with today's show. You can find out more about his work and the services he offers at clarkwolfcompany.com, and we'll have the findings from the Zagat survey at our website, everythingsounds.org. Craig and I produce this show all by ourselves, and we fund this show all by ourselves as well. And, and part of what keeps Everything Sounds going is when you tell your friends about the show or you write a review on iTunes. Those reviews help us move up in their rankings so we reach more people, and then they tell their friends about us, and then they their friends write reviews. You know, <laughs> it's a circle. It's what happens. You can find a link to our iTunes page at everythingsounds.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We share interesting videos, photos, articles, and audio throughout the week. Or at least ones that we find interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Even if you don't think so, we're still going to keep posting. Our social media links are on the website as well. Until next time, I'm Craig Shank. And I'm George Drake Jr. Thanks for listening to Everything Sounds.